Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Hey, y'all, and welcome back. To Rotten Tomatoes is wrong, and maybe if this is your first or second time, welcome to the family. I'm Jacqueline Coley. I'm an editor at Rotten Tomatoes, where I cover independent film and awards. And I'm Mark Ellis. I'm a stand-up comic, Rotten Tomatoes correspondent, and I don't know if Jacqueline knows this. My middle name is Edward, meaning I might be ripe for hosting an alien symbiote. Yes, Eddie Brock is our subject today. We are talking Venom, which is a word that back in the Rotten Tomatoes offices when this movie was coming down, it was the buzzword of the year. <laughs> Let's talk about it. Tom Hardy, Riz Ahmed, we were talking some Venom because let's talk about it. This is a movie that still kind of haunts us to this day because the critics gave it 30% on the tomato meter, but audiences lived for it at 81%. I think this is the biggest disparity of audience and critic scores that we've done on the podcast. And really, we're here to break it down, Mark. I mean, what do you think? We, we actually, you know, we have some history with Venom that we'll get into, but you know, why do you think critics were so down on it? That's why these conversations are so much fun. I mean, that is a 51% disparity, meaning the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. Was it critics going to a press screening and assuming this was going to fit neatly into the Marvel Cinematic Universe and everybody got upset when Tom Holland's Spider-Man didn't make a cameo? Or were audiences just so high on how cool Venom looks that it didn't matter what you put on the screen for two hours? They were going to come out of that theater raving about it. Jacqueline, I fall on the rotten side of it right now. As of right now, I feel like it's like a rotten movie that I don't love, so we can't write a book about it. It's like a rotten movie that I can enjoy, but I can be won over in arguments. This is one of those episodes where I'm going to contribute, but I'm also going to listen and maybe have my mind swayed. Oh my God, you're going to be an undecided voter for this podcast. (laughs) I love it. Anyway, back to Venom itself, though. I'm with you. I do think it's a rotten movie. I do not totally disagree with the critics on it, but I would say it's like a rotten movie that I am supremely fascinated by and highly entertained by. I wouldn't necessarily call it like unbridled enjoyment. It's like like the joy is not there, but the fascination and titillation and just like car crash aspect of it, I'll tune in. Watching it again, 
didn't lose any of that enjoyment for me either. So I think uh, I'm on this other side of it. But I think the person we're bringing on the podcast today is going to be squarely in the Rotten Tomatoes is wrong camp. So it's going to be an interesting conversation. But before we bring her on and talk about it, Mark, break down for us what exactly is Venom? Venom is a movie directed by Ruben Fleischer. It was released in theaters in 2018, right around October. It was getting into the horror movie season, but here comes this weird anti-hero superhero movie hybrid, and it's all about Eddie Brock. He's an investigative journalist, and he's looking to take down a mysterious owner, founder of the Life Foundation. They do a lot of weird experiments, and while Eddie is investigating one of said experiments... His body merges with, get this, Jacqueline, and I'm not making any of this up. You can go watch the movie. An alien symbiote. (laughs) And so now all of a sudden he's got human, superhuman strength and power, and he's got this rage element to him. And so he's trying to control what is happening to him. At the same time, Venom is trying to adapt to this new human host, Eddie, that he has taken on. So it's sort of like a buddy-friend relationship all wrapped up into a weird horror movie with superhero elements. There's a lot going on in this Twinkie. I feel for you even trying to come up with a concise synopsis for that because, yeah, everything, including the kitchen sink and a lot of the pipes leading up to it are in this movie. And it does not there's no subject. There's no place this movie does not want to go, um, which is strange considering that it left so many critics cold, even though it gave us so much. But we don't have to be the only arbiters of what happened, why critics were thinking what they're thinking. Luckily for us, Rotten Tomatoes provides Tim Ryan, the review curation manager, to break down for us exactly what was going on just, you know, a couple of years ago when Venom was released and uh, maybe give us some explanation as to why it has this big disparity. So, Tim, take it away. Thanks, Jacqueline. So Venom came out in 2018, and there were a lot of superhero movies out that year. There's Black Panther, there was Avengers Infinity War, there was Deadpool 2, and to a lesser extent, there was Incredibles 2. But Venom really stood out in a lot of ways in the sense that it was not a typical good guys versus bad guys kind of superhero movie. It was one in which the villain is the star, and the guy who's usually battling the villain, in this case Spider-Man, was nowhere to be found. And that was one of the issues that critics had on some level was, what is Venom. Is it a sci-fi film? Is it a horror movie? Is it a comedy? Is it a superhero movie? And for the most part, a lot of the critics felt like it worked less well as part of the extended Spider-Verse or as part of the Marvel Universe and worked better when it was at its weirdest and when Tom Hardy was able to cut loose. So what did the critics have to say? In a rotten review, Catherine McLaughlin of Sci-Fi Now wrote, Venom mostly wastes its stellar cast with its jarring tonal clash. The wacky humor is badly timed and the one-liners are ghastly. Its blend of puerile comedy and psychological horror just never really gels. On the other hand, in a fresh review, Tori Preston of Pajiba wrote, The tone waffles about and the plot is utter nonsense, but if you can set aside all the expectations and baggage of what you think a Venom movie should be, you might just be surprised at how much you enjoy just what the movie is. So anyway, Venom is at 30% on the tomato meter with 347 reviews. But the audience score is 81%. So it seems likely that a lot of people in the audience were willing to overlook a lot of those issues because they really like Tom Hardy's performance and because they liked the character of Venom. So if a movie's working for you, you know, you're willing to overlook uh, certain things that might be flaws in another film. But that's for Jacqueline and Mark to discuss. So back to you, Jacqueline. I live for Tim Ryan. Tim It's amazing. It's amazing. It really seems like 
and again, I don't necessarily blame critics for how they feel, but even looking back on it, it does seem like there was an expectation that wasn't met with critics that fans, for whatever reason, were able to kind of put to the side and just go in and enjoy the movie. And I don't know if it's as simple as that. Rarely anything with the movie is complex and with so many different moving parts as Venom is an explanation that's simple, but that's why we do the show, Jacqueline. That's why we're here today. I do think Venom might be one of these subjects where in the absence of like a good meal, people will just eat what they're served because they're so like starved for it. And going back to a previous movie that we did, Spider-Man 3, we all talked about how, you know, Venom is just that character for comic book fans, for fans of like the TV series. It's just that one that everybody kind of loves for his anti-hero goodness. It's the symbiote, I think, like wish fulfillment aspect of it. Um, and I, I love think that. That comparison, because basically what you're saying is that Venom is not a well-balanced meal. It's a meal replacement bar, a lot like these protein bars that I just (laughs) ordered that came in the mail today. So listen to the ingredients of that. Like you have like metamycin protein blend, and then you also have like (laughs) sugar, cocoa, that sort of stuff. Then you have glycerin. With palm oil, fructose, cocoa butter, partially defatted <laughs> Things that have no business flour. being in there. Xanthan gum? Why am I eating gum? What is tocopherols? It's, I have no <laughs> idea what any of this stuff is. And maybe that's how people felt watching Venom. Like, I'm having fun with some of this, but what are all these other ingredients here for? You know what? Some people were saying that. Not our next guest. <laughs> um, actually, we're calling her back. This is our first... Our first repeater, and I will have to say, it is a high honor that we were bestowing on her because she kicked it off with us with Spider-Man 3. And as she defended Topher Venom, I'm going to call it Topher Venom because we're about to go into Hardy Venom. Hardy Venom, Topher Venom, just for those that are keeping score. But Roxy Stryer is back to break down both of them for us. Of course, you folks know her from her YouTube channel and Collider. She is a girl that talks movies all over the interwebs. Miss Roxy Stryer, thank you so much for joining us again. Thank you guys for having me. I didn't know I was coming on here both to defend Zenum and Xantham gum, um, which is in a lot of things that I really enjoy eating. Thank you, Mark Ellis. You devour those and you enjoy every bite of that. Oh, it's great. It's great. 32 grams of protein, 18 vitamins and minerals. And Roxy, Mm -hmm. you are the Xantham gum of this show because you're the glue that holds it together. But (laughs) I also understand that you may have a passionate feeling, maybe even more passionate about Venom than you were about defending Spider-Man 3. Yeah, which is I, a hard thing. I'm very surprised. So it, go do I this, am girl. because I feel like everybody's garbage. Like everybody <laughs> that hates this movie is a pile of flaming, maybe possibly lovely, but still flaming garbage. Garbage, and I feel like they don't see it for the gem that it is. The score on this movie is so egregious that I feel like I have to fight back even harder because. How on earth people walk away from this thinking anything other than, yeah, is beyond me. Beyond me. It wasn't the boobs on the Venom because that was, it was that for me. It was that for me. (laughs) But we'll get into it. Um, Roxy, did you see this in the theater where you had a fancy press screening? When was the first time you actually saw Venom? Yeah, you know, not to name drop or anything, but I was at the premiere of this movie. Uh, So I will say, sometimes going to premieres gives you a little bit of rose-colored glasses. We've all been there before, where you're seeing the movie with a bunch of people who are in the movie, who have made the movie, people who have no reason to do anything but cheer for the movie. So when I walked out of this movie, I thought, 
everyone in the world loved this movie. This is the next hit. This movie is going to be critically and audiencely perform. It's gonna, it's gonna blow everybody's <laughs> mind. Everybody's gonna love this. So I was shocked to see what actually happened. But I, I did. I went to the premiere in Westwood and it was a lot of fun. Uh, one of those shut down the, part of the street, outdoor, uh, indoor situations. And yeah, I remember watching it with my girlfriend. We were both cheering. We were shouting. We thought that this was one good old fun, felt like I was in the 90s time. Okay, but here's the question. At the after party, did they serve lobster? <sighs> you know what? Ooh. I feel like this was a missed opportunity. I will give you this. They did not. And that just shows a lack of budget. It no? shows a lack of belief in the movie. I mean, usually when they're really believing in something, the studio goes all out with the after party. I saw it too at, at the same theater you're talking about, Roxy. And then afterwards <laughs> across the street, they had like the whole damn town of Derry, Maine yeah. set up and you could go to all these different booths and exhibits. And it sounds like from your description, I, I wasn't privileged enough to get invited to the premiere, but it sounds like you see the movie Venom and then you go across the street and what they have, like just like one of those hot dog cart people, just like cooking up peppers and serving no, you dogs on your way home. It wasn't, it wasn't that. It was more, I feel like they... You know, some of these premieres care more about the virtual experience, uh, experiences afterwards. You know, like you're, you're actually feel like you're walking on the side of a building situation. <laughs> That's where the money went to. Uh, it, it wasn't a strong food event as much, but I really do feel like some seafood would have tied this up perfectly. I wish there were broken tanks everywhere, uh, and people sitting in, in them. I would have sat in a broken tank to show how much I love this movie. A better metaphor for the film. They didn't know what they had because, uh, yeah, again, if I'm marketing this movie, lobster rolls for everyone and convenience food like you need to go get the 7-Eleven, like those those like sausage dogs that have been rolling for like seven hours because like the second best movie scene moment is in like all the best moments in the movie are in that like convenience store. They should have like had 7-Eleven as a co-sponsor. So many missed opportunities in this. And if I'm going to be honest, Roxy, that's why it didn't touch greatness. But me and Mark actually saw this together. We Ooh. saw this at the low rent press screening because we're not as cool as Roxy. However, <laughs> it was it was a, like the reaction to the movie. The audience was also split. I do remember people like legitimately like clapping at moments, laughing out loud at moments. And then like another segment of them that literally seemed absolutely disgusted by everything that was on screen. Mark, I don't know who you were around, but that's what I definitely saw in my vicinity. There's three kinds of laughs in a movie theater that I've been able to detect. And to answer your question, Jacqueline, I was uh, usually, if I have my choice, I'm sitting away from everybody else. I just like to sit by myself in my own world. Well, I don't understand why people need to sit next to their friends at a movie. It, like, you're not going to be talking, ideally, for two hours. You're not going to get any of my popcorn. <laughs> what, why do I need to sit by anybody? I, I'd prefer to be by myself and in my thoughts and experience one of these three laughs. So laugh number one is like if you go see a comedy and everybody's laughing because it's funny. That's the most obvious one. Laugh number two is at a horror movie where everybody gets scared at the same time. And then like three or four seconds later, here comes the laugh because we're all giggling at how we all just got freaked out. So it's like that shared experience. Venom had a lot of laugh number threes, which is we're laughing because we don't know if the movie is intentionally trying to be funny or if it's so bad 
that the result ended up being a comedic mishap. And I think that that is still the confusion with Venom. Was was it purposely trying to have this many comedic moments or was it just uh, such a misfire that we as the audience couldn't help but giggle? And a great example is the line when Venom says, like a turd in the wind. And, and it's like, okay, first Nailed of all. Nailed it. Nailed it. No, unless Eddie slash the symbiote grew up in our producer Lucy's hometown of Nebraska, then you're probably not going to get wind strong enough to be blowing turds from street to street. It just that's not how turds work. Ideally, it's a solid thing, and it's just not being blown all that much by a little breeze. Oh, aren't you lucky, Mark, that your turds are all very solid? More humble brag a little more. I did not know we were going to go into the turd part of the conversation. I've so done early. the research, and it's it's a very personal type of research that you, the folks listening, can do. And it's just, I, I think that that line is so representative of the movie because it is a, it's not a bad line, but it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And to hear it coming out of an alien symbiote that has that classic look that we all knew from the comic books, it's like, wait, that is what this character thinks about. You come in here again. In fact, you go anywhere in the city preying on innocent people and we will find you and eat both your arms and then both of your legs and then we will eat your face right off your head. Do you understand? Please. Yes. So you will be this armless, legless, faceless thing, won't you? Rolling down the street like a turd in the wind. Do you feel me? And so it, it just throws you for a loop. And that's towards the end of the movie. And you're still trying to figure it out long after the movie's over. You're still trying to process not whether you had a good time or not, but whether the movie's actually quality. Mark, yeah. he told us, he told us straight up during the movie where I come from. I was not cool. I was like you, Eddie. Mm -hmm. I was not very cool. What do not cool people say? They talk about their poop in public places. We know this to be true. (laughs) So it wasn't very surprising. And I know that kind of laugh that you're talking about. I experienced that laughter during the Hellboy screening. Mm. Uh, That was the, the laughter of... Oh my God, this is really bad. That and it's so bad. We all think this is funny. That is not the laughter that you hear in Venom. You hear real, legitimate laughter. You hear this brings me back to my childhood, to comic book movies of a different time, to uh, a lot of great love and and things that I I want a Venom two from this. Like that was the kind of laughter. I'm not hearing a lot of laughter three laughter. I don't. Oh, I, I don't heard know. it. I gave it. Uh, you weren't sitting near me because I absolutely gave ton of laughter number three. I mean, look, I'm kind of with Mark on this. Mine is actually that there's brilliance in Venom. There actually is legitimate brilliance in Venom. The problem is the dissonance of it. It's two bands playing at the same time. And no matter how great they are, you are not going to enjoy either performance because they're playing at the same time. And like... The, the, the craziness of it is like, for whatever Cats was doing, for an example of another movie that just went off the rails, but I really enjoyed it. Everything pointed in the same direction of like catnip soaked fever dream. Like that's just what it was unintentionally, but everything was pointing in the same direction with Venom. 
there's Tom Hardy pointing in this direction, which is actually, I think, the better movie. And then the formulaic script and the very, like, flat acting and the lack of jokes outside of what Venom and Tom Hardy are doing, and especially this very weak sauce villain, just put, like, this wet blanket over all of that fire. And so even though, like, there's a part of me, Roxy, that says, like, I feel in the right hands, this Venom movie that we got could have actually been something greater. And when you hear about it, when you hear about the details behind it, like the biggest one for me is actually the scene when Tom Hardy is like starting to succumb to the effects of the symbiote after he gets infected. Tom Hardy playing Eddie Brock. He jumps in a lobster tank at lunch mm-hmm. and devours all of the lobster shells, which is just such an image. Like, that is going to go on every video that I will ever make in future about Tom Hardy because I'm like, this is his Oscar winning performance right here, ladies and gentlemen. I'm hot. Is anyone else hot? Sir? No. Wait, wait, where are you coming? Eddie, uh, this is unacceptable. No. I'm going to call the police. What are you doing? No, please don't. No. Eddie, please. Oh, my God. Uh, much better. You are insane. Killing people. Who's killing people? Come, Drake. Oh, God, it is not this. It is, and I have proof. But it turns out, like, the director even talked about it. They were not supposed to go in the lobster tank that day. That was not part of the script. That was Tom Hardy. And Tom Hardy came to set that day and said, looked at the the scene, looked at what they had to deal with. And he said, I'm getting in that tank, literally. And then they just had to make it happen because he's like, I'm the star of this movie and I'm saying I'm getting in that tank. So I'm getting in that tank. And that's kind of how the movie got filmed. So the fact that we even gotten something that was watchable is kind of a miracle because it seems very much like Tom Hardy, as he has been known to do, was just like, I'm going to do what I want. And again, this is also behavior that he's done in other movies. But I think that we loved to watch him do that. He knew his character so well that he knew if this symbiote was taking over his body and he was not well and he was seeing the love of his life with another person and there was all these stakes at hand, then he's getting in that tank and he's eating those lobster heads. And more importantly than that, question for you, Jacqueline, have you ever been to Coachella? Because if you have, then you know the joy of standing between the main stage and the outdoor stage and listening to two bands play at once so you don't have to pick which one you are going for. Yeah. That is a great analogy for this movie. That is a great analogy. Both the Chili Peppers and Florence and the Machine at the same time. Thank you very much, Coachella, for allowing that to happen. Wait a minute, though. But you're far enough away to where you can turn between the channels. This is both bands playing in your ear at full volume right next to each other. Yeah. So I, I agree with you. I, 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 but I like not Roxy's comparison. I like the Coachella thing. But one could very easily see how this movie would cease to be two bands you can enjoy simultaneously. And it becomes trying to play football and basketball on a baseball field. At the yeah. same time. And it's yep. like, oh, God, I don't know which ball to use. Where's the hoop? Are we hitting home runs here? And w- w- But I will tell you what, what I enjoyed about this movie, though, is that I think it was necessary for this reason. It's because we had been so trained as audiences, critics, however you want to categorize yourself, 
to look at a movie that has a Marvel property, right? Doesn't necessarily have to be an MCU movie, but we feel like we've gotten past all those those Ghost Riders and and, and those mm. those misfires, those Jonah Hex's movies where it's like, oh no, this is a weird comic book movie that's going to exist and then go away. So by the time Venom comes out, it's like, oh well, that character's from Marvel. We know him from Spider Man, so eventually Spider Man's going to show up, and it's going to feel like another MCU movie. And this was an enema to all movies. <laughs> There were evil that either felt like they were too much in the MCU and had the trademark sense of humor and the heroes winning in the end, or it felt like it didn't feel like a DCEU movie where it just has to be so dark and dreary and sullen. And this was like, wait, what the hell is this? It's not either one. It's kind of like this weird hybrid of both. And so if you want to stick with the music, I would say this was a little bit like when Nirvana hit, where it's not going to be as well-regarded as Nirvana, but it was like there was so much going on in the musical landscape from hair metal to singer-songwriter stuff, and then Nirvana hits, and it's like that's completely different from what we've heard. It's the same kind of instruments, but it's a totally different tone, and this movie had a totally different tone than anything else that we had seen prior. And Mark, you believe Nirvana is anything less than great? I mean, I feel like that's the biggest compliment this movie's ever received. Well, All they wanted to be I'm was not, a 90s grunge Nirvana. band. That is okay, what's happening. Okay. It's, not it's more like Screaming Trees or Soul <laughs> Asylum. I feel it's like it's when I went blossoms. to see Fergie in concert and Axl Rose comes on stage. You know, like you didn't know you were going to get it, but all of a sudden there's Axl. What are you going to do? Ask him to go home? Yes. No. Absolutely not. I mean, look, I guess my thing is, is that you like it for what it is. And I'm not saying it me. I'm like squinting my eyes and seeing past it. And I'm seeing what this movie could have been. And that is even more disappointing to me because you cannot reconcile this fact, Roxy, no matter how much you love this movie. Objectively, I think you would have to agree that Tom Hardy is in a different movie from everybody else. Well, I think that when you have a symbiote in your body, you're not fully human. I, I mean that. Like, that, I is, that was not an acting choice, sis. I know you want to give him that, but that was so not an acting choice. I feel like it really, truly was. I feel like he was living in his own world as somebody who is essentially part alien. And everybody else is like, wait, is this what's happening? And they keep commenting. He's unrecognizable. This is not him. We have to get him to the hospital because he's in his own world. And he's in his own world because he's got this thing inside him. For sure. He's like really, some might say it was method acting. But then why is the, why is Venom also so weird? I think that that's the turn, though. I I mean, isn't that the part of the movie where everyone is going to decide ultimately if you're on board with this or if you're jumping ship? Ruben, who's an audience reviewer, verified on Rotten Tomatoes, makes a great point. He says Venom is a weird flick with a notable tonal change once Venom actually comes on the scene and how you feel about the movie may depend on how you feel about that change. And I think for people who are really looking forward to seeing Venom, once you finally get the full Venomness of this movie, it was just such a weird shift from what we had been watching. And so maybe that speaks to both y'all's points is that that is the deciding factor in whether you're going to walk out of this movie saying this pulled off exactly what it wanted to and it was great or this movie has no idea what it wants to be it couldn't settle on it and therefore it's a hot mess with a lot of ingredients (sighs) 
The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Yeah. yeah, I think I, it's... I will, I will also say that that was not a solo fan reaction. Uh, Richard Proops from Independent Critic basically said the same thing when he says, if you don't allow yourself to succumb to all of it, you're going to hate Venom. And I will admit I'm a control freak because I was not succumbing to it. But I definitely was at the glass peering into it with that strange fascination. I was definitely looking to be like, what of what craziness of these kooks cooked up and enjoying that. As somebody who always believes that everybody is able to change and that's a different therapy session for a different time. <laughs> I feel like I was watching this hating Venom so much. At first, you just want him, you want him to die. You want him to go away. You don't want him to take over Eddie's body. You want to put him in a jar and lock him up. And then at some point, you start rooting for Venom. And that's so cool. That's what we want as people in life. Like the people that you think that you'll never be able to get along with because you're just too different. And at your core, you could never possibly come together. And then all of a sudden you find yourself being like, or do we have some similarities? Or is there a way to make this work? And that's what this movie really kind of shows when we see that switch in Venom. So I do agree that was a turning point for a lot of people and for me, it turned up the heat, not down. And it was shocking to see how well people responded to this movie. And let's just call it the elephant in the room. Do y'all think that this movie, as far as an audience score goes, was partially a response to fans who really wanted to see a proper Venom movie, who felt jilted by the little Venom we got with Topher Grace at the end of Spider-Man 3, and they said, finally, 10 years later, I get the movie that I've been hoping for. I love Tom Hardy. The effects look cool. I can't wait to see this movie on the big screen. And then they see what the critics say, and they see the tomato meter number, and that almost fuels them. And I, I say that coming from a fan perspective, not a critic perspective. And that almost fuels us with this rage, like, now I have to like this movie because I'm going to rebel against what we feel like the populist state is telling us to feel. I mean, look, uh, Tim said in his, his segment that, you know, this movie was kind of inundated with a bunch of other comic book movies. And at that time, they were all kind of playing to the same drum. And the best one of that year was Black Panther from both critic and box office. But maybe it was just the difference of it, to your point. Like, this was just such a different flavor that was being offered, whereas in all the other sort of IP-laden comic book entries kind of played it on that, that MCU formula that the fact that this one just rewrote the playbook that it was the novelty of it that made it good and I could I could even buy into audiences liking it that I don't think everybody 
who loved it even remember Topher Grace, though. Half of them probably don't even know who he is. I do think there there is validity here to this is a stick it to the man kind of movie. When you see that critics hate something, you do want to double down and say, screw the critics. I'm going to make up my own mind. But at the same time, Mark, there's plenty of movies that have 30% scores on Rotten Tomatoes that the audience score matches much closer to that. So why this specific movie? Why this movie with the critics and the audience being like, no, you guys are absolutely wrong. It doesn't happen every time. So I feel like that shows that there is is a lot going on in this movie, but it's what the people actually wanted. They're not just raging against the machine. Well, you also have Tom Hardy in this movie, right? And so Tom Hardy is coming off of being in a hard R film that a lot of people didn't think would work because it was a hard R movie, and that's Mad Max Fury Road, right? And that was beloved by critics and audiences. So I do wonder if the rating factored into it where... Some people were going in thinking this movie, there's no way it can't be rated R. Like you can't do Venom properly unless it's rated R. And then you have another contingent, which I include myself in this faction, is that, look, I would love to see an R-rated Venom movie. It's cool. You can't make it R. This movie has to be PG-13 because whether or not Spidey is showing up in this movie, eventually you're going to want to be a part of that universe. And you have to make it palatable for Disney to be able to accept you into their greater plan. And for that to happen, you can't open with an R rating. It just simply is not going to work from a business sense. You can talk about artistic stuff all day long. The bottom line is money. And I think that the, the box office surprised me. I had a bet back when I was hosting Movie Talk three lifetimes ago with Perry Nemiroff, our friend who, and, and I was like, no, there's no way this movie's breaking. Like I said, like $50 million opening weekend. Mm-hmm. And this movie soared past that. And I think a lot of that was because everybody could go see it. It looked like an R-rated type movie, but it was PG-13. So everybody could go see it. Now, I need to check this again, but I believe that the domestic numbers for it were good, but they were not phenomenal. Definitely not Black Panther numbers where the domestic on that actually outweighed the international. I do think another factor into why this one especially traveled well and so therefore reached larger audiences that enjoyed it is by using the anime, the animated symbiote and it's an animated figure, they can put whatever words in that figure's mouth that they want. It's one of the reasons why animated movies also travel well from a like international standpoint. So you can like tweak the jokes to be regional and to like really sort of like center in on wherever they're speaking to. So like the jokes in in Paris when you're doing it in French are going to be a little bit more self-referential and they're going to speak to that language. You can't always do that with actors because the mouth movements and the sort of like emotionality to it. But when you're doing with the animated figure, you can kind of put anything in their mouth that you want and just sort of change the eyebrows. And there you go. You have a new scene. And a lot more people than just Roxy saw this movie multiple times because you're right. The domestic box office was pretty good. It was 213 million dollars and yeah. thank you mark hoffmeyer for the research yeah. on a budget of 100 million but worldwide is where this really did damage yes. 856 million bucks a fair chunk of which came from china where they completely repurposed the marketing to jacqueline's point roxy so imagine you're walking down the street and you see a poster for this movie called venom but instead of this menacing character with these big drooling teeth like the alien xenomorph you see three girls who are taking a picture with Venom like he's an Instagram boyfriend. That's how this yep. movie was marketed overseas, where it's like, hey, it's your front, it's it's your alien buddy. It, it, it looked like it was more Lilo and Stitch than it was this dark anti-hero comic book movie. 
Venom means family. Um, I I agree <laughs> that that would be a wild shock if that's what you see, and then you go see it, and it's completely different tonally. But I am curious, Jacqueline, based off of what you were just saying, does that mean that some countries didn't get the gold that was a turd in the wind? Like, are there some major lines that are missing no, poop, overseas? Poop is universal. Oh, you can, that poop jokes are funny everywhere. There's yeah, a okay. book about that's it. why the poop emoji was in the emoji movie. That translates into every language, no matter. Was there what. a everyone loves it, to the book funny. everybody poops what was there like everybody poops some more or no. was it everybody poops Parents. again one Hit us up at rt Campbell. is wrong and let us know if there's a sequel to everybody poops we're not gonna oh, i had right that now. above my uh toilet all through college <laughs> Wait, i don't want to get out of here though without without talking more about tom hardy because um we we talked about mark hoffmeyer and both me and mark and i'm pretty sure roxy also know this because it's been very well documented there's been like several news stories about tom hardy's behavior um both on and offset you know him doing press junkets and being like i ain't doing this or on set being like i don't know what this director's doing even mad max a movie that was nominated for i think like 11 academy awards and won six uh, Tom Hardy and pretty much everyone involved in that thought that it was going to be a colossal disaster. And he was very open, um, Lee, like against it during the filming. Him and Charlize didn't, didn't get along. If you ever want to see the sort of like oral history on what went down, uh, Kyle Buchanan of the New York Times really did this really in-depth breaking of that down. Apparently, Venom was the same situation. Tom Hardy thought he knew better. And, you know, he was heard on set saying, you know, I'm not saying that it sounds stupid. And as the dialogue, in my personal opinion, is the weakest part of this movie, again, I just, I I wonder what was going to be there. And knowing now that the sequel we're going to get, entirely new director, Andy Serkis, correct? Mm Mm-hmm. Andy Serkis, Mr. Freaking Motion Capture, I am so here for it. There is no way him and Tom Hardy are not going to be on the same crazy train, and I am here here for it apparently they finished shooting it i, I think yeah. it, 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 they read principal photography and there's probably gonna have to go back and do reshoots and maybe they're trying to work that out now with the covid protocols but roxy look i'll tell you this i think this is a rotten movie i enjoyed the hell out of parts of it but this is like I, this is like an athlete playing on a rookie contract where they have to prove themselves and the box office alone proved that we went from having Venom, oh, is he going to be good enough? Is he going to make the cut to be in the MCU? To now it's like, you can't deny Venom in the MCU anymore. Because you have Morbius coming out, which has Michael Keaton reprising his role from Spider-Man. And eventually you're going to get Venom somewhere. Whether we get more, we're going to get Carnage, we might get Shriek in the sequel. There's a lot of stuff to look forward to. Whether you loved the first Venom movie like Roxy did, or you thought it was a little ridiculous, but you still kind of want to see more of the character. Yeah, I feel like, Jacqueline, you just said it. Mark, you just said it. And this is how I feel. I left this movie... And even with the uh, announcements of who was going to direct and everything, just being so excited about another one. All I want is a Venom 2. I want to know what happens with him and Anne. I'm a lover of love, a shipper of ships. I need to know. I, I know that people didn't look at this as the rom-com that I look at this in Spider-Man 3 as, but whatever. Everything to me is a rom-com. Like, I got to know what happens there. Um, and I just, I, I feel like that shows that there's value to a movie if you walk out of a movie and you're like i want more of that i need another one of those i want to spend more time with those characters i want to know what happens in that storyline then that means it did something right something right 
I did like the carnage scene at yes. the end. With yeah, Lily. I did too. I did too. But I will say that like we don't always get the sequels that we want because I'm still waiting for a reimagined <laughs> Heather's that isn't trash. We're not going to talk about that TV show. We're on the same uh, page on that one. So, um, But <laughs> I will say this, though. Regardless of what happened in this movie, if it had a fan audience or not, if something makes a billion dollars, they're going to figure out a way to make a sequel. Yeah, so. absolutely. I have a question, Jacqueline. You brought this up. This is producer Lucy again. Hello. <laughs> you mentioned uh, boobs, Venom. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Because that, for me, I loved Venom, by the way. And then I, I was a little bit taken aback. You know, Michelle Williams, spoiler alert, becomes Venom. And they put boobs on Venom. And that is never not going to be weird. But <laughs> still couldn't turn away. Could not turn away from it. Hi, Eddie. Whoa. 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 Yeah. Oh no. I just bit that guy's head off. It's always going to be in my memory is Tom Hardy making out with symbiote Michelle Williams. That woman has won a Golden Globe and an Emmy and she's been nominated for several Oscars. And they put boobs and a symbiote on her. Boobs. I loved every second of it. <laughs> or as the characters from Hocus Pocus would have called them. Sorry. It's a, I'm just. I was Yabos. still married. Yabos <laughs> is what Disney let them get away with. I think we've got pretty much all the bases covered here. Uh, boobs, turds, lobsters, xanthan gum. Roxy, have you showed Venom to one of your friends who didn't know that much about the movie like and and did they like it too is this a movie you can recommend to friends or is this a movie that if you're going to recommend it to somebody who's not familiar with it you have to give them like a one hour talking to about how to approach it it's definitely a uh, a concerning movie to recommend to anybody uh, because you feel I feel protective over this movie. So when anybody goes in to watch it, I have to say things like go in with low expectations. But the fact that I have to say that for a movie, it doesn't bode very well for, for the movie. I, I say things like, you know, critics give it a 30%. So I haven't shown it to anybody yet who didn't think it was really good. But because I gave them the spiel before, you guys know, it's like when you have that friend from college and you're introducing them to your professional friends. And when your professional friends are about to meet them, you have to say to them like, all right, I have to tell you that we've been friends for a long time. I don't know that I'd be friends with him if we met today. He's got kind of a history. Like you kind of have to preface it all. Venom is a, a must preface movie and that's how i know there's some legitimacy to what jacqueline was saying about the dialogue there's some legitimacy there some of the dialogue could use a little tweaking there's some parts that could use a little (laughs) little more sugar a little more spice but in general it's a phenomenal movie Okay, I so, appreciate that caveat from you, Roxy. I know it hurt it did. having that come out of your mouth, <laughs> just like venom on your lips. Oh, and she's back. There it is. <laughs> the kid is hot tonight. I, I, I want to do, Lucy, can we do a follow-up episode to this where Roxy shows it to her grandfather, Papo, and Absolutely. Nana? And we get, I want to get Roxy's grandparents' reaction to Absolutely. this movie. I think they would say, I don't get it. That's a, that's often when I show them things, or you know, when I ask them to complete the lyrics to 
uh, WAP, they say, I don't get <laughs> oh it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> At least your parents do it. My mother's like, I'm not watching this stuff. And actually, I'm going to go ahead and say, my mother usually says, I'm not watching whatever white stuff you're trying to show me. And I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not going to lie on the woman. That's just what she says. I don't need that nonsense. <laughs> It's oh, a, a good question. That is it's what she says. Weight. I'm not going to lie on the woman she birthed me. That is exactly what she says. Real quick, though, Roxy, I know you're not going to maybe show it to people, but real quick, we do have to say, all right, give me the line. Give me the scene. Give me the one moment that when people try to talk mess about Venom that you're like, look here, turn your attention here. I do feel like it is the convenience store stuff because throughout yes. the movie, that has a lot of heart. And you're just rooting for him to do the right thing. Um, and by the time that we reach the end where we see that Venom stands up for a woman who's just trying to make ends meet and, and support and provide for her family. And, and she is in a position where a lot of people get put in where they are dealing with bullies. We see Venom take out the bully. And I think that that's what makes him an anti-hero in this situation where he's not great, but there's way worse out there. And um, that to me is a huge, huge uh, message of this film. Don't you guys want to see a buddy cop movie where Venom and Eddie are the buddy cop duo fighting no. crime together? I think My that would be to anything so you could fun. pitch is yes, yes, <laughs> yes. I do want to see that. Thank you for asking. Me. It was a lot Absolutely. more like uh, Mark Wahlberg and the teddy bear from Ted than I thought the movie <laughs> yes. would be. You know, but mm -hmm. it, it's a movie that they wanted to make for a long time, as evidenced by the Sony email leaks, be, because they were iterating this movie forever. They're trying to figure out how to get it to work. Avi Arad, one of the producers, had, he's the one that basically said, hey, Sam Raimi, uh, you're getting a little too Sam Raimi for this trilogy, and we need you to get back into what we think the fans want to see. So we need to have Venom in this movie, which is why Venom feels so shoehorned. Sorry, Roxy, at the end of Spider-Man 3. And now Venom did have his spotlight to do whatever the hell it was he did. And he made a crap ton of money. So I feel about this movie now in retrospect, because I was loving the Phantom Menace when I first saw it because it's Star Wars. And of course, I'm going to love it. But then you start to come down from your high and you say, OK, well, it may not have been a great movie, but it gave us a great template. Now we have a starting point. We're off and running. So every Star Wars fan, whether they want to admit it or not, you saw Phantom Menace, and then you're like, okay, well, now we can, now Attack of the Clones is going to be great. And then we saw Attack of the Clones, and we're like, okay, well, now Revenge of the Sith. That's the one we've really been waiting for. <laughs> so it, I, I think there's going to be a and lot of hype around this they're sequel. they're still waiting, depending oh. on which fan you ask. Mm -hmm. Ah, and that just shows the foul seniors. Hey, but you know what? Venom was popular. We're going to get a next one. Regardless of what we think about it, I think... Clearly, audiences voted with their wallet. They voted with their heart, with that 81%. Um, so in that respect, it's just another critic-proof movie. So yes, I will go ahead and say, I think Rotten Tomatoes is right. I'm not going to die on this hill. Um, I'm definitely going to still stand for the lobster tank <laughs> of it. I will stand for that for a long time. Like, I will be like, you just need to watch that section to understand that it's great. I wish everything surrounding it wasn't as bad as it was. And you know what? Maybe the next uh, Venom movie, they can, like, filter through that. Andy Serkis is a talented dude. I I'm going to put faith in Gollum. Mm -hmm. What about you, Roxy? I'm guessing you're firmly Rotten Tomatoes is wrong. 
I am. I feel like Rotten Tomatoes was really wrong on this one. I stand with the audience. I would be even higher than them, but there is one part of this movie that gets me every time I watch it, which knocks at some major points. And that is when Riz Ahmed gives his pin to the little girl, and then we see him walk away, and the pin is still on his freaking shirt. The lack of continuity there every time so wow. uh, this would almost be a perfect movie but that definitely <laughs> knocks at some points the dialogue of knocks all at some the points things i know that gets knocked me. this movie for there is the continuity person was out with a cold that day and mm-hmm. that's what you're gonna that's what, what you're if it gonna, was on purpose what if it was like here little girl in front of everybody and then right as he turns away he's like screw you i'm not giving you my pin honestly i've made up a lot of backstories here <laughs> i have all different things like did he have another one in his pocket did somebody sneak it to him did he take it back there's a lot of possibilities but they didn't explain it and knocks it a few points but in general yes rotten tomatoes is very wrong here i'm with the audience i'm a person of the people guys Person I think of the people. Roxy what about you, Mark? is very strong with her opinion. And I love how Roxy is able to talk about how much she loves a movie and localize it to her taste because it takes the pressure off me to also have to say this is a fresh movie because it's just it's just not. It just is not quite oh. fresh. It's fresher than 30 percent, but it's still a rotten movie that I can enjoy. <laughs> And it's got one of the greatest lobster scenes in movie history besides Naked Gun Two and a Half, which, as we all know, has the funniest lobster scene. Oh, Annie Hall has entered the chat and she would like to have a word. But that is a podcast episode for another day. Uh, Roxy, before you get out of here, though, uh, what are you recommending for folks to check out in the waning months of 2020? You guys know I'm the TV gal, so I'm going to give you a TV rack, but it does kind of play like a a docu-series movie, and it is so different than what we're talking about with Venom, but this is a show that not enough people are watching, uh, and it has me up at night freaked out, and that is The Vow. Uh, For anybody who hasn't seen The Vow, this is the Nexium sex cult Keith Raniere uh, docu-series that goes into the behind the scenes of how this all took place. Uh, it's, it is mind-blowingly disturbing. Uh, to me, there's nothing spookier than watching this. I couldn't talk, talk about something I couldn't take my eyes off of. You can't look away. Uh, and I just think that they did a really phenomenal job with this docuseries. And clearly, them bringing what's going on to light has made a huge difference in the public eye and the court of the people and the actual courts as well. So, yeah, man, guys, this is a must guys watch. going away for a yeah. long, long yeah. time. 120 I'm, years. I'm already yes. on the stars documentary about Ooh, it. You so are? I, yeah, oh. I, I, I I watch the the vow. Basically, my nightly ritual is I'll take my, um, shall we say, medication for those people who are not in California. And Mm -hmm. it's a little gummy medication. And it's sometimes it's in it's in liquid form. And it's awesome. Vitamin C. Yeah. 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 Just vitamin C to keep me energized. And I will slowly drift off into dreamland listening to what's going on with the vow. And so in a weird way, I'm kind of in the Nexium cult deeper than I thought I would be because like I'm listening to <laughs> Keith Raniere's teachings as I'm basically falling asleep every night for the last three weeks and Get now out. I'm onto the stars documentary. And so I don't know what the next step is. I'm going to start doing Podcast. power walks with Under Armour. 
No, the podcast, because that's where I am. I literally went, actually, I went podcast to the vow, back to the podcast. And now I'm like, okay, I'll turn on the stars documentary when they get a few episodes in, because I'm like, why did this girl stay secret? Because India's already out. She's suspect, in my opinion, because she wasn't in the vow. I'm like, what are you hiding, girl? But that's me. <laughs> no, I'm with you. I must get to the bottom of all of this. Yep. I'm like, what is she yep. hiding? But you can check out Venom on Fandango or Voodoo. Judge for yourself about the entire movie, about the boobs, about the turds in the wind, and of course about the lobster tank. Let us know what you think, though, because we want to hear from you if you think we were right, if you think Rotten Tomatoes was wrong, or if you want to recommend new movies for us to maybe check out the next time. Mark, where can folks find you? Alive, correct? You can find me live-ish, maybe not on stage as much as I'd like to be in this current climate, but you can find me across all social media platforms at Mark Ellis Live, and you can also email me, and when I say me, I mean us at the show. Let us know how we're doing. RT is wrong at RottenTomatoes.com. That's RT is wrong at RottenTomatoes.com. Let us know what you like about the show, what you think we can improve upon, if anything, and give us some movie recommendations. What are some rotten movies you think should be fresh and fresh movies you think are totally rotten? We love hearing from you all, and we appreciate all the likes and the support and the love that we've received in our little time doing this here program. Yes, and Roxy, where can folks find you? And more importantly, what do you want them to be on the lookout for? What are you doing upcoming, lady? I'm everywhere at Roxy Stryer. I do a daily YouTube show. I'm like 227 days into quarantine of every single day going live on youtube.com slash Roxy Stryer, which has been wild. Um, and also, That's an achievement. That's huge. Thank you. That's thank you. Huge. Every day. I need a nap hearing that. I know. I don't want anybody to be alone, uh, which, again, different therapy conversation for a it's different a cult. time. It's a cult. Yeah. Live at the Roxy. It's just a cult. You, you tune in every day. Yeah, that's the deal. And thank you guys so much for bringing me back as your first repeat guest. You know, Amen. maybe third time's the charm. So we'll just have to wait and see. But I love coming here with you guys and you do an amazing job. So thank you. Well, thank you, ma'am. And no, the second time is definitely the charm. You're once twice a lady and if you're Whoa. three times a lady you'll be even better <laughs> but speaking of once and twice uh we've got a double episode next week right mark i believe we get to talk about ace ventura the landmark 1994 comedy hit that took the world by storm that showed us the meteor that was jim carrey and we're also going to talk about ace 2 the sequel so I think we're doing both in one episode. It's going to be action-packed. We have a very special guest that's going to be joining us. So I am so looking forward to that. I haven't gotten a gush about Jim Carrey and his magical 1994 in a bit. And I cannot wait to do it for all of your smiling eardrums out there. Oh, and by the way, Jacqueline, <laughs> you're at that Jacqueline. <laughs> yes, I was just going to say. I, was gonna I know off, your hand. I did I mean, you know, I was just going to be like, that's right, Mark. And again, folks can find me on the interwebs at that Jacqueline because I'm that girl that talks about movies. And I'll be very excited to talk about Ace Ventura 2. Going to go ahead and take a little flyer out here say that we're going to have to ad address some 90s comedy. Yes. Doesn't always hold up. But yes. I'm excited to talk about it and uh, to see Jim Carrey talk out of his butt. Let's be honest. It was a time. It was a time. Finkel is Einhorn. <laughs> Einhorn is Finkel. Yes. Again, thank you guys so much for listening to Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong, and we'll see you guys back here next time. Bye-bye.
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.